I would call a really compelling person in Scripture. It's really his story is shared just in two chapters, and yet his impact was profound. And would you think with me for a moment, have you ever met someone in real life that was a very compelling person? Just by their presence, there was a, an inspiration, a desire to be a better person, to live a better life. I have been watching some of the, the history and the documentaries on uh, Queen Elizabeth. And what's so interesting is when she first uh, took the throne, what, 70 plus years ago, most people would not have described her as a compelling person. In fact, it's come out that she was rather ordinary, right? And they were wondering, is she going to be able to carry the weight of the crown, and yet I would say most would argue that she became this compelling figure because of her service, her sacrifice, her consistency, her, her willingness to just to give her life in the service of others was compelling. I was reading about a, a young adult, and uh, she was a Catholic, and she had all these issues with the the Catholic Church, but had an opportunity to meet the Pope. And so uh, she meets the Pope, and she was, you know, her, her fully loaded her guns for all the things and problems and issues of the Catholic Church. And she said, I met him, and that all went away. I just wanted to be more like Jesus through meeting a person. I call it relational intelligence, is the level of, are you aware how people experience you, right? When you walk into the room, do you have an effect in a particular way? I, I've, I've thought about this a lot, like, and, and can I grow and understand how I would impact? You know, there's one scripture, this is... Uh, Related to the message, but kind of an addition, right? So for no extra charge, all right? There's this one scripture that, that keeps driving me. I'm reminded again and again. I did put it in your outline. We have it on the screens. And it's this Philippians passage that I, th I, I think that the, the translators have a little bit of difficulty with translating this. In fact, Hennies, I'm going to have a conversation with you about this passage someday, about translation. But Paul says this. He's right in the middle of inviting us into the kind of people that we are to be. And it reads, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. That little phrase, the Lord is near, seems like, how does that fit? Is that an idea and a sentence all by itself? I personally think there should be a, a comma between all and the. Let your gentleness be evident to all comma, the Lord is near. I think what he's saying is, 
joy is a part of the Christian life. That gentleness and kindness is a part of the Christian life. When people meet you by how you live, that should be a testimony that the Lord is near and present. And then he goes on to say, do not be anxious about anything. So I've wrestled with, do I have a level of joy that people would know God's presence through me? Do I have a level of gentleness and kindness that, God would, that people would know that God is present? Would I be a non-anxious presence or do people experience my anxiousness oftentimes. But I think if we could live that, we'd be a compelling individual, would we not? Now this compelling individual is Stephen. It's a little bit different in terms of how he is. I think to have met Stephen would have been fantastic that his life would have been inspirational. We're going to see why. And I I did kind of name this with a a sense of humor. I'm calling this message Three Simple Steps to Martyrdom. If you'd like the gift of martyrdom, just follow the life of Stephen, right? But Stephen was this compelling individual. And I would say, if you know much of your church history... Those who have been martyred through the years, often, when you read their lives, they were pretty compelling people. They were were swimming upstream, and the culture did not like them very much. And yet, God blessed them. So we're going to read this story, and I encourage you, as I read, I want you to pay attention to what it would have been like to meet Stephen face to face, how you would have experienced him in his life. And I'm going to start at, uh, in chapter 6, verse 3, and there was an issue in the early church. They were doing food distribution, especially to the widows, and it wasn't being equal. And they were talking to the apostles and saying, hey, can you help us with this? And the apostles, in what I think is... uh, a lot of wisdom, they said, hey, our calling is to the word of God and to prayer. Everybody has gifts. Would you find seven individuals that would be able to serve this vital ministry? And we'll pray for them. So that's what the the church, it sounds good to the church, and start picking it up in verse 3. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and of wisdom. We will turn this responsibility, this ministry, over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. They're recognizing the different giftedness of the community. This proposal pleased the whole group, the early church. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip and Procurus, Nicanor, 
Timon, Perimenus, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So... I think this is a moment of wisdom and discernment by the early church, recognizing everybody has gifts, a blessing, a multiplication of that. But this is also an introduction of Stephen and Philip. So the next couple of chapters is going to pick up the story of Stephen and then eventually Philip. Let's keep reading. Verse 8, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. How interesting. Stephen wasn't just there to, to do food distribution, but he was also gifted in numerous ways. There was power of God flowing through Stephen. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, potentially Jews that were enslaved at one moment and now were free. Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the province of Sicilia and Asia, who, became, who began to argue with Stephen. But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit uh, that the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen was also an articulate speaker with wisdom and understanding in terms of his message. Indeed, Stephen must have been this compelling person to meet and to see. And just from those few verses, there's a little word that is repeated again and again. And remember when a word is repeated in Scripture, you want to pay attention. Anyone recognize that word specifically said about Stephen? What's that word? Wisdom was repeated, yes, but I'm looking for a smaller, more often. What's that? Marilyn. So shocking that Marilyn got it. Yes. Yes. Full. Did you notice that little word? There's a, a repetition. Look at verse 3. It says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Then you jump down to verse 5. This proposal seemed pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and a repetition of the Holy Spirit. Then you go to verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and God's power. We see Stephen is this man full of faith, full of wisdom, full of the Spirit, full of God's grace, full of God's power. It must have been compelling to meet him and to experience God's grace or faith or power or wisdom or spirit coming from Stephen. Paul was exhorting the Ephesian Christians. I referenced it during the anointing with oil. And he's talking about the old way of living, 
and embracing the new way of living, kind of what Natalie said regarding Galatians. And he says this, Ephesians 5.18, do not get drunk on wine. That's, uh, that is an old way of living. Right? That's, you're, you're filling yourself up with wine. That leads to debauchery, not good things. Right? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Two things about that little verse that I find compelling. The, the Greek tense is an ongoing being filled again and again and again, almost as if God gives the Spirit without limit. I wonder if that's anywhere in the Scriptures. All right. Second thing is, you have a choice of what you're filled with. Did you get that? You have a choice of what you're filled with. Has anyone ever told you that you're full of it? Oh, yeah. Well, I've heard Lisa say that to you, Mikey. Yes, yes, yeah. Now, what is it? Well, we won't go down there, okay, down that road. But would you think about it from a broken world perspective? When you experience something hard or difficult, when you argue with a friend or a coworker or a spouse, what can easily happen? You can be filled with self-righteousness, filled with bitterness, anger, sorrow, sadness. If you were to stop for a moment and just ask, what am I filled with in the moment? I'm trusting it's not wine, right? But in terms of those emotions, those things, boy, the, the gamut is wide. Did you know that you can choose to be filled with things that are of God and not of God? Stephen, in his compelling life, was filled with all sorts of good things that I would love to fill my life with again and again. I was reading over this story, and um, I was reminded of some conversations I was having with Josh Osborne. And I want to invite Josh uh, forward. I asked if Josh would just share a little bit of the story. So some of you know Josh went to Ukraine, just this amazing missionary experience, uh, potentially to... And he wore the Ukraine shirt. There it is. All right. Good, good job, Josh. Um, and, and to build houses. But he had a small group of us, we were praying for him, and, he, and we soon realized that maybe this mission was a lot about a lot more than building houses. And in fact, as they were waiting, Josh was feeling the unction to, to stir the spirit of prayer 
among those who had gone to serve. So we started praying that, that God would use Josh to stir these servants that are sacrificing and risking much to be in an aspect of prayer. Well, then Josh got to this experience where he started serving alongside Ukrainian Christians. And as you can imagine, they were filled with a lot of things towards Russians, soldiers, Putin. Can you imagine what they'd be filled with? I mean, we get it, right? I mean, it's hard to imagine bitterness and, and pain and anger and, and hate. And Josh is serving along these folks that are filled with these things. And he could have said, I get it. God bless you. I think Josh was steered in a different direction. So Josh, would you pick up the story from there? So just so you know, I've got a great deal of compassion for the nation of Ukraine. It's not out of a lack of compassion that I did what I did or said the things that I said. I had a great deal of compassion for their situation. I cried a lot of tears with people while I was there. But there is a kingdom of the earth and then there is a kingdom of heaven which reigns supreme over that. And we cannot let the kingdoms of this earth dominate how we live and how we show up in this world. We have to let this kingdom dominate how we live and show up in this world. And this kingdom says different things than all of these kingdoms do. Amen. And so while I was there, I was working alongside of a Ukrainian Christian. We were building a house together. He was a nice young man. Um, and as the sovereignty of God would have it, uh, we finished our house early. Half, most of our team left to go build with another team to help them finish. And I got sent with this Ukrainian young man to go pick up supplies and to deliver supplies around to the different sites. And so I spent like the next two hours in the car with this man. And um, we're driving through minefields. There's minefields all around. There's people sweeping for mines all around, which made it, which gave me a great metaphor, honestly, to use in my, what I would later share with him. But I felt compelled to ask him. And I didn't want to ask him because I wanted to let, you know, my own flesh, my own fears, my own insecurities just take, just be quiet, just sit here and be quiet. But I kept feeling this unction to speak up. So finally I asked him, and I said, as a Christian, and I made sure that I said Christian before I said Ukrainian. I said, as a Christian Ukrainian, what are your feelings towards the Russians? And to be honest, I was expecting an answer like anger or sadness, like deep sadness, a lot of anger. And I was a bit taken back when he responded very abruptly, very quickly, without having to think about it, even a moment, he said, hatred. And I was just like, and I'm sitting in the car next to him, and I'm just like, okay. And this is like that opportunity of, do I just let this go? Do I, oh, oh okay, great. Oh, let's talk about something else then. <laughs> and, but I felt the Holy Spirit just pushing me. You can't let this go. This is your opportunity. Why do you think I sent you here? 
Paul tells the Ephesians, make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And I wasn't going to have a whole lot of opportunities with this guy. So I'm like, I have to do something now. I have to speak up now. And so I'm like, okay, is there a, a way of looking at it from a biblical perspective? And, um, and there was actually another Ukrainian in the back seat. So it's like me against two Christian Ukrainians. And I'm like, this is, you know, they're probably like, who do, who do you think you are coming from America telling us how we should view the Russians? Why don't you go back to America with your ideas? But so I'm just, I'm pressing into that. Um, and I just started sharing scriptures with them. And it was very tough. And I know the situation that they're in. I'm not blind, blind to it. I'm, there's war houses blown up all around us. And, uh, but I'm just sharing scriptures. The Holy Spirit is bringing scripture after scripture to my mind, and I'm sharing them with them. Um, and it was so great that we were in a landmine field because I was able to use that as a metaphor. I said, look, the real issue here is not the Russians. That's not the real enemy. They, they came in and they did their thing and they're gone. But just like how they left these landmines, the real enemy came in and he left these landmines in your heart. And these landmines that we see them cleaning up out here, these will be gone in a year. These will never hurt you. You're not going to die because of any of these landmines. But the landmines that the real enemy left in your heart will kill you if you do not get rid of those. And so then he just, he opened up to me and he's like, I don't want to have hate in my heart, but hate is what I feel. And so I said, well, can we pray for it? I said, I, I'm a Christian from America, and I wouldn't be doing my job as a Christian coming all the way over here and just letting you leave with hate in your heart. Matter of fact, he's going to talk about Galatians next week. It says in Galatians chapter 5 that the works of the flesh are evident, and it lists these things, sexual immorality, all these things. And then hatred is one of those things, and it says those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Like, hatred is a disqualifier, according to Paul, for heaven. And so I, I couldn't just leave this guy. Well, good luck with your hatred, you know. <laughs> Screw the Russians. Like, uh, but so no. So I just, I, kept, I pressed into it. And honestly, he let me then pray with him. And it was a really beautiful moment. And we ended up becoming really great friends, like, in the next however many days that I was there. This happened with another guy, too. Same situation. I was working alongside of another Ukrainian Christian a couple days later, and he's saying things. I'm overhearing him talk to somebody else, and he's saying things about the Russians. I mean, wishing them to hell, like, and I'm just like, what? so finally I started confronting him as well, and he was actually a radio DJ for a Christian station in Ukraine who had heard about the project that we were doing and wanted to come and be involved with it. And so I'm like, this guy's a voice to the Ukrainian people for God, and yet he's saying things that are not actually the gospel. And so I started confronting him with the scriptures and I got right in his face and I said some pretty hard things right to his face. And I just, again, scripture after scripture after scripture. And he's just like, again, who does this guy think he is? Like, um, but we got to a point where it's like the scriptures wore down the hatred and the bitterness in his heart. And I, told him, I was like, look, I'm not going to stop quoting the scriptures to you until you go with me to the, to the street and we can pray together and we're going to pray for the Russians. And he actually did that. He said, okay. 
So we left the job site. We went away, him and I together. We literally, both of us, in the middle of Ukraine, in the middle of a minefield, down on our knees, together, praying together. And he's praying for the nation of Russia. He's blessing Russia. We're praying to the end. I mean, it was, we're praying to end the war, of course. But we're also just blessing his enemies. We're doing what Jesus said, praying for those that were persecuting him and blessing them. And it was just a really awesome experience. Can we thank Josh for that beautiful, awesome experience? You know, I was thinking about when Josh shared that and praying for him, and I felt like the Lord gave a big picture of this idea, is that there is a day that the Russians will be gone, and there is a day that God is going to want to heal the hearts of all the Ukrainians for what has transpired. And when that day comes, that's when he's going to say to his church, I need you as the church to lead the way with the values of my kingdom, the values of forgiveness and healing and restoration. But if they remain like the rest of the Ukrainians, full of hatred and bitterness and unforgiveness, they're going to miss how God wants to use his church in that moment of history. Yes? So Stephen here is in this moment a man. He's living through difficulty and struggle. He's facing persecution. And yet he continues to be this individual not full of hate or fear or unforgiveness, but a man full of wisdom, of God's grace, of God's power. Let's continue the story. Verse 11, it says, Then they secretly, this is the religious leaders, persuaded some men to say, We have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. They stir, so they stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses. Interesting how there's an alignment with Stephen's life with that of Christ. They produced false witnesses who testified this fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. That's kind of out of nowhere, right? <laughs> that little detail of Stephen. Can you, uh, can you imagine trying to be the religious leaders and be like, yeah, tell us, is this right? Oh, gosh, what is happening with his face? <laughs> like... I mean, we're, we're giving nothing further in the scriptures, right? But we see this moment when he's about to be stoned, martyred, that his face is aglow. And I thought to myself, I'm skipping over this because there's absolutely no application that I would write, you know, like... <laughs> 
Jerry, could you work on your angel face? <laughs> right? But then I was like, hmm, there is a precedent in Scripture for this. In fact, the precedent is Moses. When, when Moses received the Ten Commandments, we haven't talked about this enough. It says, Exodus 34, 29 says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. Do you think it would have been compelling to meet Moses when he came down from the mountain? Yes? Like, wow? It wasn't just there, it was also with the tent of meetings. That, that they had built a tent of meetings and Moses would go in there and he would pray and then he would come out and his face would be aglow from the presence of God, from interacting with God. And in fact, he started to put a veil over his face, probably because people were like, uh, Moses, could you turn it down a bit, right? The glory of God was shining in his face. And I was thinking, there's something beautiful about that. Like where Moses and then Stephen were spending so much time with God. Today, I, I love that it's Stephen, because Moses, you're like, well, it was Moses. He, ten commandments, ten of meanings, all of that. But Stephen, he didn't have that. What did he have? What did Stephen have? He had prayer. That's what he had. He had what you and I have. He had the opportunity to be with the Lord. That that time spent, he was being transformed into the likeness of Christ. So much more that if, if something like hatred would have been present in Stephen's life, right? It's being burned away by prayer and the presence of God. If there was jealousy or unforgiveness or bitterness like we get so easily filled with as we pray, as we seek the Lord, those things that are not of God are burned away and we look a little bit more like him. All right, I couldn't resist sharing this interesting phenomenon. Have you ever noticed that there are people, when you hang around with other people or their pets, they begin to look more and more like? All right, we found just a couple of this priest who maybe spends a lot of, too much time with his dog. That could be, yeah, this is young, yep, just like that. And one more, Peyton Manning. It's for all you football fans there, yes. All right. But would you think about the more you hang around with people or pets, you're going to look a little bit more like them. Stephen was such a man that spent time in God's presence. There was this 
glow and this radiance like Moses. And then one more piece here that I want to continue the story. I, I would love to read over Stephen's whole uh, sermon. It, it's a, a beautiful and amazing sermon. Um, at the end, he does call them a stiff-necked people and that they're resisting the Holy Spirit and that they betrayed the righteous one, Jesus Christ, and that didn't go well for him. All right, so he says this and jump all the way to, to chapter 7, verse 54. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and gnashed their teeth at him. What a phrase. I love that phrase in scripture. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he's still full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God, talking about thin places, right? Talking about this moment when the veil between heaven and earth is removed. Stephen about to be martyred, stoned right there. God gives him this picture. And I, I'm hesitant to even say, call it a vision. Because I, was, I think he was seeing reality. He was seeing Jesus really in the spiritual realm at the right hand of God. The veil was removed. The curtain was torn open. We just, we don't have language for that moment. But the response of the religious leaders was perhaps the very opposite. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him. They saw it as blasphemous. This picture and his words dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, who would eventually be the Apostle Paul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed. How would you pray at this moment? In the face of death. I think how you would pray would be dependent on what you were filled with. How you prayed in this moment would be dependent on what you were filled with. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. I, I like how the scriptures use fell asleep. Because they want to say, hey, just say so you know. He wasn't dead in the sense that we talk about it in the world sense. He fell asleep, yes, in the world sense. But the picture of Jesus he was given, <laughs> he's with him now. In fact, in this moment, Stephen is with the resurrected Lord. Can you believe that? 
He prayed much like Jesus, and Saul approved of their killing of him. Again, somewhat challenging to address an application from this in my mind. So, Jerry, work on the angel face and your vision of Jesus enthroned next to God, right? And yeah, there's this idea of what would it look like if we lived life with this reality. That if we faced difficulties and challenges with the reality that Jesus is not dead, he's not in the grave, he's not on the cross, he's at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning and ministering to us at every moment in our lives. What would it look like if we lived like Stephen? He faces the, the, his martyrdom with this, this beautiful gift of God. He gets a picture of Jesus and it enables him not to pray from bitterness or ha- hatred, but like Jesus, looking a little bit more like Jesus. Jesus, forgive them for their sin. I was thinking in my life, the times I've tried to be mindful of this bigger picture of God is in times of loss. The times when I've been most discouraged. The times when I had no idea what God was doing. The time of a lot of hurt and pain. I've used this cliche and I like some cliches, and I think they're cliches because they're valuable. Do you know what cliche I'm talking about? Well, Jesus is still on the throne after, the th- after a pain or a loss. Jesus is still there. He- I don't know how this is going to work out. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm frustrated. I'm in this place of of difficulty and pain and struggle and I'm I'm upset and yet Jesus is still on the throne. He's still ruling and reigning. I watch a news article and go, man, this culture is going to hell in a handbasket. But God's still on the throne. A huge disappointment with with, with family or friends. Why? Why? Jesus is still on the throne. This idea that God has got it, that we can live life from the reality of the ascended Christ. Powerful. And I'll say this one thing too. It's enabled me to live with a greater vision for my life. That I care a little bit less about the details because I know that God has a bigger picture. Maybe this is just going to minister to a couple of you, but I I think it's worthwhile um, saying. And what I mean by this, we're in Alpha. We just had this delightful group in our living room and we were all sharing. We shared. I like to ask them about what keeps them busy and their sharing and about their faith background. It was really fun. And so it got to me and I said, hey, I'm Eric. 
And my day job is I lead a church. But that's not really the all of my calling, right? I have a greater calling to lead people to Jesus. Now, sometimes it really benefits the church, and that's awesome. But if it doesn't always benefit the church, it's got to be okay. And I'm not going to be the pastor of this church forever. In fact, the, you know, if the elders were to fire me tomorrow, right, guess what happens to my vision? It's the same. I'm still going to lead people to Jesus the best I can, regardless of where he's got me, you see? If they fire me for some terrible reason, I could be upset and, no, that's not fair whatsoever, and Jesus is still on the throne. He still has a plan and a purpose for me. Would you pray with me? So would you just take this moment in the service where you personally ask the Holy Spirit what he's saying to you, whether you're online, whether you're in the service, whether you're working a camera or working the slides or whether you're grabbing an instrument, would you just close your eyes for a moment And just ask, how is the Holy Spirit working in you? What is he saying to you? For some of you, it's going to be what you're filled with. And it's not good, and it's not of God. And would you think of all the things that... Stephen was filled with wisdom, grace of God, faith. And you can ask, let's say, for some of you, you connected with hatred or disappointment or sadness. You can ask, Lord, would you replace that with faith? with wisdom, with your grace. Some of you, as funny as it sounds, that idea of that angelic face and how people experience you, that stuck with you. And this is how I'd say to pray. Would you pray for an increase of your desire to simply be with the Lord? To love him and to be loved. To pause from your busy life and activity daily just to be with him. And then finally this, just a greater vision for your life. 
that you might live your life with Christ enthroned in heaven and on the throne of your heart.